This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of September 18th, 2023, the second week of the 2023 Second Chance Jamboree. Hoedown. Uh, ho- ho <laughs> um, and yeah, we will get into Jeopardy, but first we will check in with my co-host, Emily. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Things are, you know, getting into the swing of things at church and at home. New school year is underway. I spent a lot of this week helping my eight-year-old make audition videos for a production of Beauty and the Beast. That's motherhood right there. Yeah. There are some songs that are in the Broadway version Mm -hmm. of Disney's Beauty and the Beast that are not in the movie and yeah, some of those are in the in the kids version that they'll be doing. So they're they're not as good as the movie ones, I think. Is it just because you're used to the movie ones, though? It might just be because I'm used to the movie ones. But they also just might not be as good. They might not be as good. But complaints about Beauty and the Beast score aside, I'm pretty good. How about you? Doing pretty good. Things are moving forward on the job front and hopefully within this next week i will have have it like nailed down so within the next week or so i hope to be again gainfully employed and much to the relief of all of my um elderly relatives i will be a contributing member of society once more i mean we're we're contributing this podcast to society what greater good can there be (laughs) that's a good point that's a good point. This is the greatest good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, other than that, things going well. You know, a little bit of a, I guess, an aside. A lot of people ask me, like, you know, the school year started. Does it feel weird? Are you, like, missing it? Does it yeah, feel, does like, it? like, regretful? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm confident I made the right choice because, like, the school year started and I just didn't really notice at all. Like, other bye. than, like, taking my kids to school. <laughs> yep. Which yeah. I get to take my kids to school now. Yeah. It's oh, that's very good. nice. Yeah. I get to like be there. But no, there's not a part of me that's like, man, I wish I was doing that still. I'm feel I made the right decision in that regard. So Awesome. Good. Yeah. Feeling good about it. So that's where we are. This is a podcast about Jeopardy though, so we will mm-hmm. talk about that. Beginning right now, on Monday, September eighteenth, we have the contestants. Matt Walks, a digital journalist originally from Billings, Montana. Deanna Bolio, a community outreach supervisor from Campbell, California. And Elliot Goodman, a history and Latin teacher from Culver City, California. Didn't Mm -hmm. have to go very far. Mm -hmm. We have the Jeopardy round categories, American history, book titles in other words, restaurant hijinks, it belongs in this museum, talk like a pirate, and enemies not a love story. We had some fun pirate talk, asking for the talk like a pirate clues, which mm-hmm. was fun. The very first clue that we had in that one was the $800 level. This Steven Spielberg title pirate is described by Smee as being so deep, he's almost unfathomable. Matt got that one. That is 
hook somebody recently brought to my attention that the film hook the 1991 film hook was a critically panned like terrible review 29 percent on rotten tomatoes oof yeah which like just for my micro generation that is like a shocking revelation because it's Mm -hmm. like you know everybody had the vhs like we all like watched hook all the time right and like yeah so it was a surprise as an adult to be like oh this is considered a terrible movie (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what movies for kids are, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that Hook is entirely a kid's movie, but like it's hard for a kid's movie to get like, you know, good critical reviews if it's not, I don't know, Pixar. Yeah, I was going to say Pixar. And it's like, aside from that, and honestly, I don't know why, like Pixar makes great movies, but Mm -hmm. I don't know why putting the Pixar name on it makes critics be like, oh, yes another yeah. classic like, you know some of them are like good so yeah i wouldn't say great i think the shine is starting to wear off on the uh-huh. pixar thing uh, i remember seeing the idea that every pixar movie the premise could be described as what if blank were people yeah or yeah what if blank had feelings or whatever mm-hmm. yeah feels like we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel like what if the elements not the chemical elements <laughs> like the classical elements or whatever you call those exactly, were people yeah. <laughs> Maybe next they'll do the chemical elements because they seem to be Ooh, running out of ideas. Fun. Yeah, fun. and there, hey, there's a lot on the periodic table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hit us up, Pixar. Lots of lots of dynamics to explore there. I'm happy to be an executive producer. Yeah, <laughs> there was a weird moment at the thousand dollar level of American history. The clue there was Native American leaders at the 1876 Battle of Little Bighorn included Sitting Bull and this Oglala chief killed the following year deanna rang in and said who is chief joseph and ken accepted it and then after the break he had to take it back because they were looking for crazy horse yeah which i wonder if ken just got confused but usually even if the host says yes and then the judges are like no they'll right. be like oh wait wait no sorry yeah yeah i don't i don't know because like looking it up quickly chief joseph was nes purse which i mean it, it's like not even it's you know not the same person right. at all yes so like, i don't i don't that is weird yeah that is very that? weird i wonder i wonder i mean we have to look into crazy horse i wonder if maybe he was sometimes referred to as joseph i don't know maybe. yeah i wonder or if yeah. ken was just like i don't know yeah think, think out one to lunch thing. for a moment yeah. Yeah. yeah daily double number one is in it belongs in this museum at the 600 hundred dollar level matt finds it at pick number 18 He's at 4,400 with Elliot at 2,600 and Deanna at 400. He wagers 3,000 and he gets the clue on Museum Strat, the Night Watch and the Milkmaid. And he can't come up with anything. He says he doesn't know. Uh, that is the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Which you have been to. I have been to it. I've seen those paintings. So mm-hmm. I knew that one. Traveling really makes some of those things stick much better for me than like learning them on flashcards or whatever oh yeah I'm sure. Uh, but <laughs> i would think that's true for like everyone yeah but a person can only travel so much because of the time and the money true yeah but yeah the Rikes museum is a cool place so at the end of the jeopardy round Elliot is at 3,200. Deanna and matt are tied at 2,400 and we have the double jeopardy categories latin america 21st century news science activists, 
1990s hit makers and wordle with the le in quotation marks there will be an le at the end of each correct response i am uncomfortable with the placement of this clue at the two thousand dollar level of 1990s hit makers (laughs) i agree yeah (laughs) i don't know i mean deanna got it cold so i mean maybe it was just put at the wrong level or Maybe I need to come to grips with the fact that the the music of my teen years is becoming obscure. I don't know. The first 1990s hit for this female vocal group, and they had a picture of five very familiar, at least to me, women, was Wannabe in 97. Their last was appropriately Goodbye in 98. Deanna got it. Those are the Spice Girls. Apparently, looking at a picture of the Spice Girls and knowing it is the Spice Girls is something that Jeopardy considers a $2,000 Apparently. I can't, I can't handle it. I cannot. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It, it just doesn't... Ugh. Yeah. Shouldn't be a $2,000 clue. Do we think that they messed this one up, or are we just experiencing, like, aging here? <laughs> if it didn't have the picture, I could... I yeah. could see it. Because, like, pulling those particular titles is like, okay, maybe. Yeah, Okay. But the picture, they're just so recognizable. I don't know. I just, I feel like the picture makes it too easy. Yeah. I can name some less recognizable all-female bands of the late 90s. <laughs> Probably Jeopardy wouldn't cover them at all at this point. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. It's always fun, at least in my opinion, when the $1,600 level, when, this, when they make contestants say this, this capital of Honduras on the... Choloteca River has a population of 1.5 million and a name from Nuadal that's said to mean Silver Hill. That's Tegucigalpa, mm-hmm. which I think is probably one of the harder capital cities to like work your mouth around, at least for yeah. English speakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Deanna got it. Though mm-hmm. Deanna did well in that Latin America category. Yeah, she did. Oh, and my favorite activist was in the the activists category. Oh, was it the $2,000 level? Um, it was the $2,000. Not a Noam Chomsky stan? I mean, I like Noam Chomsky. Yeah, me too. But I love me some Carrie Nation. In addition <laughs> to liquor, this hatchet-wielding woman, and they did show a picture, born in 1846, also railed against tobacco and corsets. <laughs> uh, Matt guessed who is Carrie, Carrie Hatchet. And Elliot <laughs> guessed who is Dorothy Parker, which is like... Also a woman. She, also a woman. She was known for her razor-sharp wit. Mm-hmm. but not for smashing barrels of liquor with a hatchet. <laughs> Deanna got that. That's, of course, Carrie Nation. Yeah. I was sort of hoping that Deanna wouldn't get it because I was like, if nobody gets it, Kyle can do the deep dive I on could it. talk about Carrie Nation. I would, yeah. I would talk about Carrie Nation. I know you would. It'd be so fun. Yeah. Alas. Alas, alas, got it. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is over in the Wordle category at the $2,000 level. Pick number 11. Matt uncovers it. He's at 44. Nope. He's at 7,600. Elliot's at 4,000. Deanna's at 8,800. And he wagers 3,000. Gets the clue, meaning honorable and worthy of respect or of being revered. It was an epithet applied to St. Bede? Mm-hmm. Okay. Didn't remember exactly how to pronounce it. Matt does not have a response, but it is venerable. So to venerate. Yeah. And Matt also finds Daily Double 
number three at the $1,200 level of activists. At this point, we're at the 22nd clue with 6,400 left on the board. And Matt now is at 5,000. He's recovered a little bit from the 3,000 that he lost. Elliot's at 5,200. Deanna has made it up to 17,200. And for the third time, Matt wagers 3,000. I think he should have made it a true daily double here. I think so, yeah. Yeah. On the one hand, he has dropped 6,000 on daily doubles alone. And on on the the other other hand, hand. at this point, Deanna's in a lock position and he has eight clues after this to try and get back into contention. So I think that a true daily double would have been the move here. But he wagers 3,000, which if he gets it right, will put him within range of getting back into contention. Yeah, but it's, it's but it's a hard road. Yeah. So this one, he gets the clue. Investigative journalist Ida Tarbell's history of this petroleum company helped end its monopolistic ways. And this one, he does know. He gets it correct. It is Standard Oil. Yes. Got it. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Deanna has maintained her lock position at 19,600. Elliot's at 8,800. Matt's at 8,000. And the final Jeopardy category is Authors. We get the clue. He dedicated books to each of his four wives, including Hadley Richardson and Martha Gellhorn. Matt got it correct with who is Hemingway, which is apparently true. I, I hadn't heard this, but he wagered everything but a dollar. So he goes up mm-hmm. to fifteen nine ninety nine. Elliot wrote, who is C.S. Tolkien? <laughs> if he's thinking C.S. Lewis or maybe Christopher Tolkien? I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. What is Christopher Tolkien's middle name? There's a, okay. There's a Christopher Tolkien. Yes. I'm just uh, learning. J.R.R. Tolkien's son. Oh, no. Oh. His name is, his name is also Christopher John Rule Tolkien. Okay. Um, like, yeah, he's, he's J.R.R. Tolkien's son. Continued the work. Huh. Okay. Including finishing the Silmarillion for him. Ah. Anyway. Yeah. So he wrote C.S. Tolkien, a good mashup there. That's incorrect. And Deanna wrote, who is Mark Twain? That's also incorrect, but she only wagered 926, but it is Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. So Deanna moves on to the finals. Yes. And that brings us to Tuesday, where our contestants are Elizabeth Devereaux, a middle school teacher from Lawrence, Kansas, Morgan Halverson, a chief copy editor from Silver Spring, Maryland, and Rob Cam, an attorney from Portland, Oregon. And the Jeopardy round categories are, you better believe it, the Asian Games, Mayday, Mayday, Foul Play, Sounds Like Big Business, and Scrambling to Find a Job. I resent that. <laughs> yeah. Foul Play, of course, about birds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, Foul with a W. Although, like, the $600 level clue on the, the May 21st, 2016 tally, this rapper set a record by having 20 of billboards hot 100 songs they showed a picture that's the only way i would have gotten this morgan got it it's drake which i realize is a foul like a bird name mm-hmm. the clue had nothing to do with birds <laughs> and like is he called drake be- like did he name himself because it's a male duck. A duck like is that actually why or is i it want just the writers to come back duck? i mean you know i want the strike to resolve in their favor that's how i want them to come back yes <laughs> but when whenever there's something like that i'm like we had writers handling this i don't think it would have been quite like this just just imagine right yeah mm-hmm. 
in the scrambling to find a job category when they initially went for that. I think Morgan, who took the first guess, missed that it was an like an anagram category. The clue was a postnatal practitioner indicate pair. And oh, she tried what is OBGYN because it's like a pair, like obstetrics and gynecology, right? Like I maybe like a pair, like two I could see that. Yeah. Two related fields. Yeah. yeah definitely see that yeah but pediatrician is what they were looking for there mm-hmm. indicate pair i just i just understood the guess yeah and they ended up having four out of the five of those be triple stumpers the only one they got was the very last clue of the round at the 400 dollar level also known as a bibliothecary brain lair um that's librarian morgan got that one so bibliothecary that's a cool word that is a that is a cool word i like that yeah it is interesting we had a Belize category in this round and a latin america category in the game before Mm -hmm. double number one is in the mayday category at the 600 dollar level pick number 14 elizabeth is at 2400 rob is at 1000 and morgan is at 1200 and she wagers everything and gets the clue may 1st 2004 latvia slovakia and eight other states join this and she gets correct with what is the european union so at the end of the jeopardy round she's in a strong lead at 7600 morgan is at 2000 and rob is at 1400 and we have the double jeopardy categories physiology super troopers but like t-r-o-u-p-e-r-s mailed it what could it be? Letter B in quotation marks. Fun and games and phrases and idioms. Okay. I liked the Super Troopers category, which was all about comedy troops, stand up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We had a, you know, who's this guy from Monty Python, like picture clue at the $1,200 level. It was Eric Idle. Clues about Second City and Amy Poehler founding the, the Upright Citizens Brigade. And we had at the $2,000 level on Key and Peel, Keegan Michael Key did this job for Obama. Improv Olympic alumna Stephanie Weir did it for Hillary. That's Anger Translator, which those sketches are great. They're pretty good. Yeah. I swear they just made up this idiom at the $2,000 level of phrases and idioms. Ken also was not familiar with it. A James Thurber character who's full of expressions not only uses the catbird seat, which I also don't really know, but tearing up this garden area. And that is the pea patch. Nobody attempted it. Have you ever heard that idiom? I've never heard it. I'm also not super old, but, you know, something shows up like in one work. Yeah. I don't know that it counts as an idiom. Right. I think that it was more widespread a long time ago but yeah that's a that's a new one for me back when this question was written yeah daily double number two is in mailed it at the 1200 dollars level pick number 16 elizabeth finds this one as well at the 1200 dollars level she's at 13200 in a Big lead with Rob at 3,000 and Morgan at 2,800. She wagers 5,000 and she gets the clue RFD, short for this, began in 1896. Previously, about 65% of Americans lived in the R area and had to pick up mail at 
the post office. She responds, what is rural? Ken does not give a ruling, just pauses. And that's when she realizes that she needed to say what the whole Hmm. acronym stood for, not just the R area that they mentioned at the end. And she tries to come up with it, but she runs out of time. It is rural free delivery. Yeah. That's hard. Like, obviously you could try to figure it out, but unless you know that term, I don't, I don't know that I would have gotten a free delivery with that, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm just remembering you talked about the Hope Diamond in a deep dive a while back, didn't you? Yeah. We had a fun, fun fact we learned in your deep dive at the $400 level of mailed it about Harry Winston mailing the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian. Just like an envelope. Mm Mm-hmm. They had a picture of the envelope. Just like, here it is. Yeah. Daily Devil number three is in physiology at the $1,200 level, pick number 24. And Rob finds it. He's at 8,600. Morgan is at 4,800. Elizabeth is at 9,000. He wagers 2,000. Try and take the lead. Gets a clue. The superior this brings blood from the head, neck, arms, and chest to the heart, specifically to the right atrium. And he gets it correct with what is the vena cava. Mm-hmm. Which, as I'm thinking about it, I think that's the only superior artery that I know. Yeah. Or, he- or chest, or, or chest, vein, I guess, if it's going to the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't name another superior one. Yeah. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Rob is in the lead with 9,800. He is a little bit above Elizabeth, who is at 9,400. Morgan is at 5,200. The final Jeopardy category is historic geography, and the clue is of Spain's colonial possessions in the Americas. This 3,400 square mile one in the Antilles never gained independence, but did change hands. Morgan tried what is Martinique with a $4,200 wager that is not correct, so she drops down to 1000 Elizabeth tried what is Cuba, which, you know, did gain independence, as Ken notes. She's wagered 7000 so she'll drop down to 2400 and Rob figured it out correctly responding, what is Puerto Rico? Yes. And he wagers 9001 which is a cover bet, bringing him up to 18801 and he is heading to the finals. That's right. And that brings us to Wednesday, the last of the semifinals for this week. We get the contestants Pam Sung, a physician scientist from Amherst, New York, Alex Lamb, a data scientist from Lake Forest, California, and Brian Ross, an attorney from Los Angeles, California. The Jeopardy round categories are back in the day, the sporting news, the New York Knox, name that play, European vacation, and B minus. I enjoyed the New York Knox category. So did um, I. Because it was saying mean things about New York, and you know how I hate New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of Pixar, the $600 clue I really liked. Um, tough times at this arena, the mecca of basketball, as even Pixar dunked on the Knicks in Seoul, explaining decades of futility. That's Madison Square Garden. Alex mm-hmm. got that. We mm-hmm. learned recently in Learned League that that's the only professional NBA venue that does not have a corporate name. Yes, I correctly figured that one out. I also did because it's yeah. the only one I could think of that didn't. Yep. I, I hoped I hoped it didn't. I would have been hard pressed to name like three more NBA arenas. But you know, I was like, too. well, the one I can think of doesn't have a corporate name. So let's go with that. Mm-hmm. There was a New York adjacent clue in the $400 level of back in the day. 
In the 1400s, Edward IV could have said, I want to be a part of it. This house, this house, a branch of Plantagenet. Alex tried what is Tudors, but they were looking for, of course, the House of York, mm-hmm. referencing the song New York, New York. And I can't really, you've had like multiple deep dives that have touched on kind of British history. You did like a royal houses or like monarchy or something. I, I did. Right. I did yeah. do the royal houses. I talked yes. about the Plantagenets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. That was a while ago though. And there's yeah. a lot there. Yeah. To go through, that's, so. that's true. Being from Massachusetts, you don't live in Manhattan, but anyone from Boston will tell you the New England type of this with milk tops, Manhattans with tomatoes. What is your preference when it comes to chowder? Oh, New England clam chowder. Come on. Okay. What, what is this tomato based nonsense? Amen. Absolutely Amen. not. What is your take on Clamato? I'm not sure I have ever had Clamato, okay. but you know, I'm not here to yuck other people's yum except when I am, but like Clamato, like whatever. Okay. That's, you know, you do you. Okay. Do you have a take on Clamato? Yeah, it's, I mean, I can bleep myself out, but it's (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Why? Yeah. (laughs) You know what this bad juice needs? Seafood. Shellfish. Shellfish, yeah. (laughs) What type of juice should I drink? I know, the worst kind. (laughs) I could choose a real fruit juice, but no, I'll choose the one that people argue about whether it's fruit. Mm-hmm. I'll do that one. And then I'm going to add this stinky, slimy thing to it. Mm-hmm. That'll mm-hmm. make this better. You can take all of this out. I was like hoping you... to get a brand sponsorship from them, but now <sighs> that's gone down the tubes. <laughs> you know what? I can pretend to like it as long as I don't have to show it on air, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in Back in the Day. Pick number seven at the $1,000 level. Alex finds it. He's at 2200 with Brian at 800 and Pam at 2000 He makes it a true Daily Double, which is a great move, and he gets the clue. This U.S. agency began in 1961. Its director, Sergeant Shriver, said it had 15,000 volunteers in 50-plus countries in less than six years. He doesn't know. He tries what is the Foreign Legion. They were looking for the Peace Corps, so he drops to zero, but, you know, I still say it's a true Daily Double was the right call. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. absolutely very early on yeah you get a shot yeah we'll take it to get mm-hmm. out into a big lead yep so at the end of the jeopardy round brian is at 2600 alex has made it back up to 1400 pam is at 4600 and the double jeopardy categories are the hand that feeds you mickey's mantle also a state postal abbreviation the real white house wives of dc opera and high notes yes not a correct response to be seen in the opera category sorry kyle it's okay i thought that was appropriate i thought this is a really really hard these were really hard the 800 level cavin pag is shorthand for the pairing of this one-act opera by muscani with pagliacci like do you know cavalleria rusticana no no, I don't like I've heard the title. I don't know the music. Mm-hmm. And I among among most people in the world, I would say I'm more aware of opera. I would say you're probably in like the two, top two percent of opera knowledge. Y- yeah. For like human beings. Yeah. Right. 
it and then and then the two thousand dollar level was Tosca, which I thought was more gettable. Mm-hmm. But even that, I don't. It was weird. I thought yeah. that yeah, this one skewed. I think a, a lot harder than opera categories normally do. Okay, so so here's my theory. They took all of the untouched two thousand dollar <laughs> opera clues from old boards and put them in one category and they didn't have the writers there to give them guidance about what was hard and to tell them that if cabin peg is the clue that you're putting at the 800 level flip it and ask for pagliacci right right like yeah that would have been the move you're right that would have been the move and that's why i I really think these are all the two thousand dollar opera clues that everybody was like i'm gonna leave that one for last and maybe we will time out yeah you're not far off. I, th- I think that's a yeah. reasonable thing. Yeah. Mickey's Mantle did turn out to be all about Disney, which mm-hmm. was fun for me, having recently gone into maybe not maybe not through through implies it's over. Anyway, I've had I've had a Disney hyperfixation, and I was like, it says Mickey's Mantle, so maybe they mean Mickey Mouse, but maybe they mean like I don't know, like Mickey Rooney, right? Like maybe it's going to be people who were nicknamed Mickey, right? Or Mickey Mantle could be Mickey Mantle, yeah. But yeah, it was all Disney clues. At the $2,000 level, we got up into obscure stuff. Angela Lansbury used her witching powers to thwart Nazis in this classic that won an Oscar for special effects in 1971. Alex got that one. It's bed knobs and broomsticks, which I've heard of, but haven't seen. I also have heard of, but never seen. I was like, thwarts Nazis? Well, now I kind of now yeah, I need now to I, watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we had more learning league overlap with the $2,000 level of the hand that feeds you. A sauce of egg yolks, sherry, cream, butter, and seasonings over lobster and buttered toast points is served as this. And I didn't know it when learned league asked it, but I knew it when Ken asked it. It was lobster mm-hmm. Newberg. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The learned league question doesn't say sherry. It says like Madeira yeah. or something else. Mm-hmm. And so it, I'm like, are those, wait, is this the same recipe? I don't know. And I always forget, I forget Newberg because I don't live in the East. I don't do lobster stuff. I guessed Thermidor. I guess Thermidor I just... too, even though I knew it's like, isn't that that French month? And it's like, yeah, that's what it's named for. Maybe it's named for something else. Oh but... yeah. Thermidor is the French month. That's right. Oh, I forgot. Okay. Well, I, I, like even knowing that I was like, I don't know yeah. any other lobster dishes that, mm-hmm. like, what am I going to come up with? Yeah. Not that. Daily Double number two is in the real White House Wives of D.C. $2,000 level. Pick number 19. Pam finds it. She is at 15400 Brian's at 7800 Alex is at 3000 She waiters 3000 Gets a clue. A year before her death in 1962, she began chairing JFK's commission on the status of women. And Pam gets it correct with Eleanor Roosevelt. Yes. And Daily Double number three is in opera. Pick number 20. I'm sure Pam is thrilled to find it here. Just kidding. So well. Yeah, it's the $1,600 level. Oh, she's actually she goes into this is the first one that we get from the opera category. Yeah, so she goes into it and then they have to tackle the rest of the opera clues late in the round. So yeah, pick number 20. And it's back to back so pam is now at eighteen thousand four hundred. the other two are right where we left them and she wagers three thousand again and gets the clue the title character of this bellini opera set in ancient gaul is a druid priestess and she does not know understandably yeah i don't know if i had ever heard of this one presumably you had heard uh, had you heard I, of it n- no okay like i mean i don't know bellini all that well 
but like i guess norma like i yeah i don't yeah. i do not know this opera yeah so yeah she can't come up with anything but norma is the answer here uh so so yeah she gains three thousand she drops them again <laughs> Like, perfect. Whatever. Yeah. Now the Daily Doubles are gone. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Brian's up to 9,800. Alex is at 2,200. And Pam is at 15,000. Final Jeopardy category is 20th Century People. And the clue is, in 2022, the Department of Energy noted a flawed process and vacated a 1954 commission's decision in the matter of this man. And perhaps it's because he's on everyone's mind recently and on many screens. We all got it correct with who is Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. As Ken also noted, it might have gotten easier over the summer. Alex added $117 to go up to $2317. Brian bet everything and went up to $19,600. But Pam wagered $5,000 to get above that and go to $20,000. And so she is the third finalist. Mm-hmm. And so on Thursday, we are heading into the second chance competition week two final game one. It is the first day of a two day total point affair with the champions from the previous three days. So we have the contestants, Deanna Bolio, a community outreach supervisor from Campbell, California, Rob Kim, an attorney from Portland, Oregon, and Pam Sung, a physician scientist from Amherst, New York. And the Jeopardy round categories are European geography, world soccer, 21st Century Bartlett's Quotations, Chinese Food, From S to Y, and Past History. My fifth As grader... As opposed to future history? Right, right. Like, what's going on? My fifth grader really, really loves Chinese food, and he heard the categories being announced and came running into the room to watch this round. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. He didn't know a lot of these, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's fine. Fine. We learned new things. Yeah. Yeah, apparently... Almond cookies are the Chinese national cookie and have a designated day in April. Hmm. Yeah, that was at the $400 level. That was news to me. I thought the neg bait there was fortune cookies, which of course are Chinese American and are not a thing in yeah. China. Mm -hmm. But yeah, nobody attempted that. That's good. Yeah. The $800 level of world soccer. Juventus, a top pro team in this country, is affectionately known as the Old Lady. Rob got it, that's Italy. Juventus, also a club well-known for cheating hmm. and being ejected from Italian Serie A hmm. league for cheating. So that's also trivia you can know about Juventus. All right, now I they, know. They have won a lot, and sometimes it's they didn't win fairly. Good to know. Not to put Juventus on blast or anything, but yeah. I don't well, know. you they know, I always forget that the Faroe Islands are a thing. They were mm -hmm. at the $800 level of European geography. Self-governing overseas areas of Denmark include Greenland and these North Atlantic islands near Iceland. Pam knew them, though. Always got to remember the Faroe Islands. Doesn't Faroe yeah. mean sheep? I don't know. Am I incorrect in that? Faroe meaning, yeah, sheep ah, from Old okay. Norse. They are the sheep islands. Good to know. Uh, Daily Double number one is down at the bottom of Bartlett's quotations at the $1,000 level. Pick number 19. Deanna finds it. She's at 4,800. Pam is at 2,000. Rob is at 2,200. She was just 2,400. Gets a clue. At her senator father's funeral in 2018, she observed, we gather here to mourn the passing of American greatness. And Deanna got it correct. That is Megan McCain. 
so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Pam's at 2,200, Rod's at 2,200, Deanna didn't get the memo and got herself up to 8,200. Mm-hmm. And the double Jeopardy round categories are Welcome to Fantasy Island, Johnny Gilbert Goes Country. You named the artist, picked Johnny Gilbert reading, Taking a Star Turn, A Trip to Mumbai, The American Kennel Club Describes the Dog, and Past History. These are words and phrases that come shortly after history in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. So they had to have the, the one in the previous round to set up this one. Still don't like it. Yeah. I like the AKC describes the dog category. Yeah. It was fun to hear the official descriptions of some of these. I thought the $800 level, these alert and amusing purse dogs stand among the oldest breeds of the Americas. I, Alert and amusing felt almost like they were throwing a little shade, right? Like, I don't know. Chihuahua is the answer there. Pam got it. Do I amuse you? And the $1,600 level, the mighty Apollo of dogs when standing on their hind legs, they are taller than most people. Those are Great Danes. Pam got that one also. I know a Great Dane named Apollo. So It's a good name for a Great yeah, Dane. They've got it in quotation marks. So I guess that is a thing that Great Danes have been referred to. Mm, as mm-hmm. more generally the apollo of dogs mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah apollo's a good boy good boy yeah well, i hope so <laughs> if you've got a poorly behaved great day you've got a real problem <laughs> you shouldn't be at the dog park <laughs> yeah <laughs> not with not with an animal the size of a horse you shouldn't no, <laughs> no. Yeah. taking a star turn was about actual stars in the sky yeah I thought it was interesting the $800 clue was a triple stumper, also called Alpha Ursae Minoris, or and our northern pole star. This celestial object is in fact a triple star system. Nobody even guessed. It's Polaris. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if like no one had known, because I, I didn't know it was a triple star system, and maybe everyone was like, well, I would say Polaris, but I thought that was just a star. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, very cleverly at the four hundred dollar level, the sun, the star they were talking about, is you know our star, the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soul. Yeah, I'm not sure I would have ever thought of Lord of the Flies as a fantasy island. Yeah. It's an island. It's yeah. I guess they mean fictional islands here, because also yeah. the island of Doctor Moreau, right? Am I remembering the right thing? Yeah, it's kind of like sci-fi. Yeah. The other fictional works we had here were Robinson Crusoe and Gulliver's Travels and then The Daily Double that we'll get to. Daily Double 2, though, is in Taking a Star Turn at the $2,000 level, pick number 7. Pam finds it and is at 7000 at this point with Rob at 4200 and Deanna at 6600 She wagers 2000 and gets the clue these two stars are also known as Alpha Geminorum and Beta Geminorum. And she figures it out. It is Castor and Pollux. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in the Fantasy Island category at the $1,600 level, pick number 19. Pam also finds this one. She's up to 13400 at this point. Rob is at 5800 Deanna's at 9400 And she wagers 3000 Gets a clue. Thomas More created this island in 1516 from Greek for no place. Based on rational thought and no poverty, is it beyond man's reach? And she gets it correct with what is utopia. Mm-hmm. 
So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Pam is in the lead with 18,000. Deanne is at 12,200. Rob is at 6,200. The final jeopardy category is first names in science. And the clue is first name of the paleontologist who in 1990 noticed some large vertebrae jutting from an eroding bluff in South Dakota. I couldn't figure out where they were going with this one, mm. but Deanna did. So Rob responds, what is Lewis? That is not correct. He's wagered 2,800, which drops him to 3,400. Deanna has it correct with what is Sue, the famous T-Rex now in Chicago's Field Museum. Mm-hmm. And Deanna wagered 4,000, which brings her score up to 16,200. Pam tried what is Lucy? There's a famous like 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 human ancestor or skeleton yeah, Lucy, yeah. right? Is there a different Lucy I should be thinking no, of? No, that's know. what I'm thinking of. But yeah. like, I mean, it's if you don't have anything better, yeah. it's a guess. Right? Yeah, it's a, it's a reasonable guess. She wagered 8,000, so she drops down to 10,000. So Deanna is in the lead, but not insurmountably so as we wrap up this first day of our two-day total point affair. Indeed. And that leads us into friday the second part of the two game total point affair that is these finals when we have the same contestants as yesterday they do the same things and we just went over the scores that they are bringing into the second game so we'll just jump right into it with the jeopardy round where the categories are scotland tv c in literature with c in quotation marks that's just awful O-F-F-A-L, mm-hmm. All's Whale That Ends Whale, <laughs> and School Rhyme Time. Mm-hmm. Is Horesk a word? I don't think so. I also don't think so. I guess, you know, we have the entirety of human knowledge at our fingertips. Horesk is a musical band. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't recognize it. Yeah. That was Deanna's guess for the... $800 level of school rhyme time. If any listeners did not get to see that one, then yeah, the clue was right. a fantastically ugly thing to sit at during class. And Deanna tried what is a horesque desk, which horesque sounds like it could be a word. Yeah. But grotesque desk is what they were looking for. Pam really knows her whales. Pam does know her whales. Yeah. Way to go, Pam. Mm hmm. Yeah, the thousand dollar level, this solid waxy substance that originates in the intestines of sperm whales is used in perfume making. Uh, Pam knew that is ambergris, which like the number of weird substances that you're supposed to know about to like have that come out of animals. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. Like it. Now, is that different than hang on? Well, I guess I'm looking this up. Is it different than what? Like. The reason that they're called sperm whales is because you get like sperm Stuff. or sperm medium yeah. or something like yeah something else. Is there's that like a different name than ambergris. Like, is it or is it? Yeah, there's like some very uncomfortable like chapters of Moby Dick about it, but mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Uh, spermaceti. Um, spermaceti. Yeah. So, yeah. That sounds right. Obtained primarily from the spermaceti organ and sperm yeah. oil obtained primarily from the blubber of the body or much mm-hmm. sought after. Oh. Yeah, you're just supposed to know a lot of whale byproducts. 
yeah, yeah. ambergris ambergris is different if um, i squeeze a whale what's all the stuff that comes out like that's apparently acceptable trivia fodder things are gross when you think about them they are everything yeah. is gross we had a funny mm-hmm. oh i thought it was funny miss and rebound at the scotland category 400 level a symbol of pride and untamability and big with my little pony fans this national animal is a symbol of the push for independence rob guessed what's a shetland what is you know that's a pony yeah fine but that's incorrect diana got it that's the unicorn which is the national animal of scotland and i we i have mentioned that to my daughters and they're like when are we gonna go yeah when are we gonna go there and find the find the unicorns Mm -hmm. i was like well sometime in the future kids i am not ready to travel overseas with you Mm -hmm. also how do i let them down easy that like (laughs) actually we're not gonna find us any unicorns in scotland because yes yeah if if you figure it out let me know and then maybe i'll apply the same technique for explaining to my children that we won't ever be going to ancient greece yeah (laughs) that's fair that's fair Daily double number one is at the thousand dollar level of Scotland. Pick number 13, Pam finds it. She's at 600 with Rob at 2800 and Deanna at 1600. She wagers a thousand. Definitely the right move here and gets the clue. The highest point in Edinburgh's Holyrood Park is an ancient volcano that shares its name with this legendary king. She waits for a while and eventually says, Who is Robert the Bruce? We were looking for King Arthur here yeah yeah i'm not sure i knew like how interested scotland was in king arthur so yeah yeah, i'm not sure i would have put that together yeah that's the only legendary king i could come up with though yeah fair enough because like robert the bruce is a real person yeah yes yes indeed but like even had i come to king arthur i would have been thinking like who is the king arthur of scotland apparently it's just king arthur (laughs) just king arthur so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Rob is in the lead with 4,600, Pam's at 4,000, Deanna's at 2,800, and the double Jeopardy categories are Thinking of Ukraine, Capital Offense, they will give you information about a sports team, and the contestants provide the home city, which is a state capital, Stars and Stripes in Art, Do I Want That Named for Me, May We Quote You, and Compound Adjectives. Who knew? dunce the word dunce comes from somebody's name i did not know that and man i mean this category is really like do i want that name for me yeah yeah good good point dunce that's such a good one to use on people you know call someone a dunce yeah that like really gets them you know because you're not cussing (laughs) you're not cussing at them so it's like it's you know you're not gonna like get in trouble but also it's like, ooh, they didn't see that one coming. I guarantee yeah. you call someone a dunce, it's going to catch them by surprise. It, fair enough. Shockingly, you know, students of the current generation, many don't even know what that word means. Mm. Which is probably a good thing, you know, given, I don't know. Yeah. At my church, we have had Ukrainian folks in the sexton position which is like the building and grounds person for many years now and there are always sunflowers around the church property so i i have since learned that those are important as a ukrainian national symbol but that came up at the 400 dollars level of thinking of ukraine ukraine produces much of the world's oil from these big yellow flowers rob got that one yeah yeah 
A daily double number two is in Do I Want That Name For Me? Uh, it's just below the dunce clue. Pick number 15. It's at the $1,600 level. Deanna finds it. She is up to 6000 now. Pam's at 6400 Rob's at 4600 And she wishes 2400 Gets the clue. Ambrose Phillips's sentimental poems inspired a fellow writer to coin this rhyming insult word using the amb in Ambrose. And I thought, I had no idea where this clue was going. Oh, I got it. Going. So did Deanna. It's Namby Pamby, which I get. I see it now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was nowhere close to Namby Pamby. I was like, ambulatory. Ambulance. Mm-hmm. What starts with amb? And what does it rhyme with? You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. And daily double number three is in Thinking of Ukraine. Close to the very end. Pick number 27 at the $800 level. Rob finds it. He's at 7,000. Pam is at 9,200. Deanna is at 12,800. Rob is 4,000. I think that he should have made it a true daily double here. Thinking about what's going to be added back in at the end, he really needs a pretty big lead to have a chance of winning i haven't done the math to see whether even a true daily double would have put the win within reach i think it yeah. probably would have depending because you know because we don't know at this point how final it's going to shake out but he wagers four thousand, and he gets the clue this major ukrainian port city was named for an ancient greek colony thought to have existed nearby and he figures it out it is odessa yeah so at the end of the double jeopardy round pam is at 9,200. Rob's at 11,400. Deanna's in the lead at 12,400, which means that she has the tournament on lock if she doesn't lose any money. Mm-hmm. They get the Final Jeopardy category composers, and the clue, a fireworks display, followed the April 27, 1749 premiere of a work by this man that had been commissioned by George II. Pam got it correct with Who is Handel? This is the music for the Royal Fireworks. It is what it says on the label. Mm-hmm. She wagered 7,001, went up to 16,201. Rob also got it with Who's Handel, wagered 2,000, went up to 13,400. Deanna put Who's Haydn, another H composer, but wagered nothing. So she guaranteed her position and is moving on to the wild card tournament. I don't JR Kaif <laughs> calls it a tournament. Okay. I wonder if it will be a tournament. Yeah. Or competition. Yes. I mean, they also call Deanna the tournament champion here. And yeah, Jeopardy yeah. is pointedly not calling this a tournament for yeah, that's reasons. Fair. Anyway, yeah, uh, she's moving on. We have two now of our wildcard competitors, mm-hmm. which is fine. And we will see them, I guess, at some point whenever that happens. Yeah. Are we going straight into that after this? I'm not really sure. I'm not sure either. I suppose we'll find out this week, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Hopefully they'll at least tell us what's happening in Mm -hmm. a week. Celebrity Jeopardy is starting up. Yeah. I've seen that advertised. I assume that's still going to be primetime? Yeah, I assume so. It's going to be on ABC, so yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I was... Cursory Googling made me believe that. I could be wrong, but... Yeah. Let us know if I am. But that's the end of the week. And this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can go there, check it out. We put quiz questions up. That is the majority of what we have been contributing lately. We put it up hopefully before the episode is edited so that patrons get a chance to check them out. But yeah, you can go there, slide us a couple bucks a month to help us continue paying for the costs of 
putting together a podcast. And we appreciate greatly everyone who has done that and continues to do that. <laughs> you make this possible. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You. And of course, we also like to remind you that there are important causes out there in the world. There are way too many to name. But some of the ones that we feel are important and worth supporting, we put in the show notes. So you can find them mm -hmm. there. Yes. All right, Emily. All there right, were Kyle. a number of options this week. There were... I sort of want to say the opera category as a whole, but I probably need to narrow that down. So are we talking about Tosca? We are not talking about Tosca. Okay. I need to decide if I'm guessing another opera or if I'm heading into non-opera guesses. I will try one more opera, and if that's wrong, I'll head for something else. Cosi Fantuti? Not Cosi Fantuti. All right. Are we talking about Lord Baden-Powell? We are not talking about Lord and Baden-Powell, though that was up there. I believe I have mentioned on the podcast. I am an Eagle Scout. So yes. I, I knew that one cold. Mm -hmm. No, I am not talking about Baden-Powell. I'm also not talking about opera. Although, Cosi Fantuti is, I think I've mentioned this, one of the three love operas by Mozart. Mm -hmm. And just a little aside, Don Giovanni, Marriage of Figaro, Cosi Fantuti are the the three love operas and they're supposed to represent like three different kinds of love or like aspects of love in case that ever comes up. Okay. However, no, we are instead going to go back to something that I realize I have a bit of a habit of doing. I haven't done it in a while though. This is on the Tuesday day, the Mayday Mayday category at the $800 level, May 1st, 1218, Rudolf I, the first German king of this royal house is born. That's the Habsburgs. That was on my list. <laughs> and I have, I've gone through the royal, the, like royalty of England. I've gone through the Romanovs. Might as well go through the Habsburgs. All right, let's do it. Which when I took that on, I was like, you know, that should be fine. There's a lot to talk about, but I can kind of, you know, go over it. And good Famous Lord, they go words. way back. <laughs> they go way back. So I'm going to mention a lot of names. And right up into the present. Like there's a Habsburg oh, with there, a current social media presence. Yeah, there are. Ha yeah, there there is Habsburg Lorraine line that is still present, um, mm -hmm. and technically with a title of nobility, though how much that really matters at this point, it's like I don't know. I don't think it necessarily does matter all that much. So we have the Habsburg family. The clue mentioned Rudolf the first. Back in 12, what did it say, 1218? Mm. That's sort of correct. Sort of not. Like, the first German king, I guess, would be Rudolf I. But, like, the lineage of how the Habsburg family came to be is uncertain in some ways because it is so old and, like, you know, draws from some different histories. Ultimately, like the Habsburgs, they were royal, they were important, they were influential really through the entirety of the Holy Roman Empire. But really, it's not until we get into kind of the Renaissance era that, I don't know, the Habsburgs, who are still kind of like, you should know who these are, came to be. So I'm going to go quickly through the beginning, talk about a few of the Habsburgs. I'll mention some things that I've talked about in other deep dives, so I won't necessarily go in too deep and just try and give us a bit more familiarity with the different important names 
and you know where the Habsburgs really fit in. So here we go. The Habsburg House, House of Habsburg, also known as simply as the House of Austria. It's one of the most important dynasties in European history. It takes its name from Habsburg Castle. It was a fortress built in the 1020s in what is now Switzerland by Rodbot of Kletko. He named his fortress Habsburg. There is dispute as to whether it is derived from Habichtsburg, which means Hawk Castle, or from Hop, meaning ford, as in like fording a river. That's where the name comes from, and they began using the name, the, the first documented use of the name as the family name goes back to 1108. The throne of the Holy Roman Empire was continuously occupied by the Habsburgs from 1440 until the extinction of their male line in 1740. So 300 years of imperial rule by this family. Of course, before that, going all the way back to the 1200s with like Rudolf of Habsburg, elected King of the Romans and appointing his sons as Duke of Austria, moving the family's power base to Vienna, where the Habsburg dynasty gained the name House of Austria and ruled until 1918. Before that, or, or kind of the progenitor, I guess, of the House of Habsburg may have been a guy named Guntram the Rich, which is just a name that I love. And if you go to the Wikipedia page about him, his picture is just incredible. He just looks like a guy that you'd be friends with, hmm. Guntram the Rich. He was a count in Breisgall, in the 10th century, and he came from the Tichinids, which was another important noble family, and probably the ones that led to the Habsburg line. So the castle, Habsburg Castle, was the seat of the family through the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries, and then in the late 12th century, they became more and more associated with other parts of Europe, with Italy, with Vienna, and they eventually moved their seat of power away from Habsburg Castle, though they kept the name. They expanded their influence through marriages and gaining political privileges, and they eventually incorporated Upper Alsace and other regions like Swabia and Thurgau and all these other like small you know territories and kingdoms that now are just kind of like, oh yeah, that's this part of this country that we don't really think of as like individual areas or, or like provinces or states. But back in the day, you could be a king as long as there was no one else around within a day's ride who said they were also king, you know? So they also profited from the extinction of other noble families, such as the House of Kyberg. Like I said, in the 13th century, Count Rudolph IV moved the seat of power out east. In 1273, he was elected King of the Romans and named Rudolf I of Germany. He then led a coalition against Ottokar II of Bohemia and pushed him back, and he took over the inheritances of the family I. They defeated and killed Ottokar later at the Battle of Marchfeld, and the lands he had acquired reverted back to the German crown. So it was Rudolf who really, you know, the, the Jeopardy clue isn't necessarily wrong. Like, he wasn't the first kind of royal Habsburg, but he was the one who, like, really established the dynasty. His son, Albert I, followed him, but Albert was assassinated in 1308, followed by Frederick the Fair, or Frederick the Handsome, who was also a duke of, you know, Austria. 
He failed to secure the German imperial crown for himself, and the Habsburgs temporarily lost their supremacy, but they regained the kingdom of Bohemia. And, and since there were no male heirs to the competing dynasty, Rudolph I managed to be elected. He lasted only a year. It's a, it's a lot of like quick turnover in this story. Mm. Then the at that point, the Bohemian kingship was an elected position, and it wasn't until like 1626 that the Habsburgs were able to actually secure it as a hereditary thing. But they were able to essentially get their people elected pretty much all the time during those years. So Rudolf IV's brothers, Albert III and Leopold III, ignored his efforts to pre- preserve the integrity of the family domains. And after Rudolf died, Albert and Leopold signed the Treaty of Newburgh in September 1379. This would maintain that Austria proper, which was kind of the like lower Austria and some of upper Austria or like the more Western parts would go with, I think, Albert. Yeah, with Albert. It would be the Albertinian line. And then the remaining territories, all of the further territories that they had acquired over the last century or so, would be ruled over by Leopold. Leopold's line uh, continued to split among brothers, and there are a lot. So if we look at the Leopoldian line, there's Ernst the Iron, followed by Frederick V, followed by Albert VI, and then there's a line of Saxon princes that like there are a bunch of them, but they eventually actually lead to George the First of Great Britain. King George of Britain can you know trace his lineage back to the 1400s, the Leopoldian line, which is I think wild with European royals. So we get that that split between the Albertinian and the Leopoldian lines until until Sigismund of the Leopoldian line who had been adopted by Albert V of the Albertinian line. Sigismund was the last kind of king of the, of the separate lines, and when he died, his adopted son Maximilian became the reunited Habsburg ruler. Maximilian I was Duke of Austria from 1508 to 1519. He was also Holy Roman Emperor during that time. His son Charles followed him from 1519 to 1556, which Charles V was, you know, ruled for a long time. However, Charles V abdicated, which then led to Ferdinand I, who was emperor for about eight years, followed by Maximilian II, Rudolf II, and Matthias. So this brings us into the 1600s and 1619. Then we get a couple more Ferdinands, followed by Leopold, Joseph, Charles VI, and then finally Maria Theresa. She was a Habsburg heiress and wife of Emperor Francis I, Stephen. She was the Archduchess of Austria and Queen of Hungary and Bohemia. So she is probably, of all the Habsburgs, Maria Theresa might be the one to know, at least in terms of the Austrian Habsburgs. Mm, Yeah. She was extremely important, extremely influential. She lived from 1717 to 1780. She ruled the Habsburg dominions from 1740 until 1780. There were a number of European sovereigns who claimed that they would recognize Maria Theresa, but they broke their promise, and this led to the War of Austrian Succession. So the War of Austrian Succession was determining who was going to take over after Charles VI died, presumably of mushroom poisoning, and which led to Maria <laughs> Theresa's ascension in December of 
that year, 1740, Frederick II of Prussia invaded Silesia and requested that Maria Theresa cede it. Um, she did not. This led to various alliances of either with Prussia or with Austria. I'm not going to get into the War of Austrian Succession because that's its own whole deep dive. But the War of Austrian Succession was basically because Maria Theresa became queen and a number of other uh, royals around Europe decided that they would take advantage of that situation. Ultimately, she maintained her power and really, like, essentially won. Like, she kept her power, she she maintained her family line and everything. Mm-hmm. After Maria Theresa, or, or uh, no, before Maria Theresa, we had the Spanish Habsburgs that uh, came to be around in uh, the 1500s, or a little bit before that. So in 1492, if we know a little bit of Spanish history, we had Ferdinand and Isabella reuniting, quote-unquote, Spain, or at least the majority of Spain, pushing the Moors out of the Iberian Peninsula, at least down to the coast, down to Granada, and like reclaiming it for Christianity or whatever. Their daughter Joanna, known as Joanna the Mad, married Philip I, who was the son of Maximilian I. So Philip was a Habsburg, and that began the Habsburg line of rulers in Spain. Philip died in 1506, leaving the thrones of Castile and Aragon to be inherited and united into the throne of Spain by his son Charles I, who is also known as Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor. So this is when the split between the Spanish and Austrian Habsburgs really happened. During during this time, the Austrian line has its own like lineage, and Charles I really takes on the identity of a Spanish uh, king. Uh, under the Spanish Habsburgs, you know, he was Holy Roman Emperor, but also the throne of Spain as a Habsburg also included, like, Sicily and parts of France and, like, parts of the Netherlands. So it wasn't just Spain. It was, like, a lot of this was under the, the domain of, like, the King of Spain. After Charles I, we get Philip II, the Prudent, who is also known as Philip I of Portugal, and Philip I of England, who I talked about because he married Mary I of England. Mm-hmm. He was a Catholic ruler. And in fact, after Mary, you know, like 30 years after Mary, when Queen Elizabeth was in charge, Philip II was the one who sent the Armada after England. Mm-hmm. Then we get his son Philip III, the Pious, then Philip IV, who was known as the Great, then Charles II, known as the Bewitched, especially by the time we get to Charles II, we see the prominent Habsburg jaw, which was an indication of inbreeding. Mm -hmm. Um, If you find a portrait of some of these Habsburgs, you know, getting into 1600s and 1700s, they have very prominent underbites and outjutting jaws. The War of Spanish Succession then took place after the extinction of the Spanish Habsburg line to determine the inheritance of Charles II, which included a number of powers both Catholic and Protestant, France, England, the Netherlands, Austria. Everyone wanted a piece of what was going to happen because, like I said, the throne of Spain controlled a lot more than just Spain. So that brings us up to the 1700s as well with Spain and Hungary. And after that, you know, the two lines don't necessarily, like, merge per se, but we do have the extinction of the Spanish Habsburg line. So really the rest of the Habsburgs after that are going to be Austrians. All of the Austrian 
Habsburgs were also kings of Hungary. They were also kings of Bohemia with different numbers, right? So like Ferdinand I was Ferdinand I of Hungary, Ferdinand I of Bohemia. Later on, though, Rudolf I was king of Hungary, Rudolf I, but he was also Rudolf II of Bohemia. So the numbers don't necessarily line up, but the people are the same. They also, like I said, controlled large portions of the Netherlands. And when I talked about the Netherlands with William of Orange, I talked about how he led some uprisings and fought against the Spanish Habsburgs. So that goes into that. You can go back to my deep dive there. Let's see. Finally, we eventually, after the War of Austrian Succession and following Maria Theresa, we get the House of Habsburg-Lorraine. So that's a hyphenated name. That gives us Francis Stephen, right, who is the, the husband of Maria Theresa, followed by Joseph II, Leopold II, Francis II. That brings us into the 1800s. Queen Maria Christina of Austria. She was the wife of Alfonso XII of Spain and mother of Alfonso XIII of the House of Bourbon, which, again, all of this is, you know, everyone marries everyone in European royalty. The House of Habsburg-Lorraine retained Austria and attached possessions after the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire, which occurred in the middle of the uh, 19th century. One of the sons of Leopold II, Archduke Rainier of Austria, his wife was from the House of Savoy. Leopold's daughter Adelaide, Queen of Sardinia, was the wife of King Victor Emmanuel II of Piedmont, which then became king of, you know, Italy. And their children married into royal houses of Bonaparte, Saxe Coburg and Gotha, which became the House of Windsor, the House of Savoy, and Chablis and Montferrat and others. So their progeny spread, and the Habsburgs have, you know, family all over still. Francis I was Emperor of Austria from 1804 to 1835. He was formerly Francis II of the Holy Roman Empire, but then the Holy Roman Empire went away. Ferdinand I, Emperor of Austria, was until 1848. Then we had Francis Joseph from 1848 to 1916. And then we had Charles I, Emperor of Austria, from 1916 to 1918. He died in exile in 1922 because Austria-Hungary was one of the central powers in World War I. And after World War I, the Habsburg dynasty was kicked out and Austria-Hungary was not allowed to be an empire anymore. So that brings us up to essentially the end of the ruling line of the Habsburgs. But we still have, like you mentioned, we have modern Habsburgs. Charles I, like I mentioned, was expelled from his domains after World War I. Then we had Otto von mm -hmm. Habsburg. He was the last crown prince of Austria-Hungary, right? Zita of bourbon Parma. She was married to Charles I. And we have Karl von Habsburg. He's an Austrian politician and the head of the Habsburg-Lorraine house. So he is a claimant to the defunct throne. He's still around. And we also have like Lorenz, Archduke of Austria-Esta. He is just a guy. He's, you know, living life, which is so weird because you're like, we go back yeah. a thousand years and we talk about this family and then they're just like, you know, they're out there. They have social mm -hmm. media accounts. We see them around. So I threw out a lot of names. I did not go super in-depth on really anybody except kind of Maria Theresa. There are a few more I want to mention that kind of like spread out farther, right? We talked about Philip II of Spain. He was also Philip I of, of England. There was Donna Maria Leopoldina of Austria, who was the Empress Consort of Brazil and Queen Consort of Portugal at various times. So I looked into the history of Brazil for this as well. Oh my gosh. 
she married the prince of of Portugal, who Dom Pedro, who went to Brazil and was like the leader during Brazil's independence from Portugal. And she was like kind of instrumental in the push for Brazilian independence and the establishment of the Brazilian Empire. And then there's a whole bunch about the Brazilian Empire. So the Habsburgs are involved in that. There's also Maximilian I of Mexico. He was the second son of Archduke Franz Karl. And Napoleon III invited him to take the throne of Mexico, becoming Emperor Maximilian I of Mexico. This was like during the what's called the French like intervention in Mexico. Things did not go well. Uh, it was during this particular conflict that we get the Battle of Puebla, where we get Cinco de Mayo from. And the Republican forces of Benito Juarez, after being successful in like you know their revolution, executed Maximilian I at Cerro de las Campanas in 1867. Yeah, so those are a couple more Habsburgs who are involved in things going on. All right. There's also like, I mean, I should mention France, France Ferdinand. Mm. We know we know France Ferdinand, right? We know that yes. name. He was he was an Archduke. He was one of the Habsburgs. Right? I didn't he was know Aust- he was Austrian. Habsburg. I'm pretty no, actually. I think. I mean, I, 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 you mu- he must be right. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the presumptive throne to Austria-Hungary. Okay, good. I was like, yeah, I've just always, I just assumed. Yeah, no, he definitely was. Yeah. He was. So yeah, there are a bunch of Habsburgs. Yes, there are. So they're, yeah, mostly associated with Austria, Hungary, but also Bohemia, also the Netherlands, also Spain, also apparently a little bit with Brazil and Mexico. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. Also, Holy Roman Empire uh, emperors. If there is a Holy Roman Empire emperor, chances are... It was a Habsburg. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right. This has been helpful because I knew they were important, but I had not kind of put the narrative together. So you put the narrative together for us. Well, I appreciate it. You're welcome. I hope I hope it was helpful to just kind of, not a lot of detail, but hopefully just like put things in a little perspective. Yeah. All right. Here we go. This quiz. Are you ready for it? Yes. All right. It's based on different places that they are associated with. But that's really just kind of tangentially. So here we go. Question one. Austria. Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven comprise the first blank blank. Schoenberg, Webern, and Berg, the second blank blank. These two blanks refer to first, the city they were associated with, and second, the fact that although they did not teach in any particular building, their compositional styles were similar to each other and highly influential to others. Fill in those blanks. All right. The city is Vienna. And I don't know the musical term, but from context, it sounds like maybe school, which I know we see that in terms of, you know, where we're referencing, you know, kind of people who are, you know, mutually influential or whatever. So I'm going to go with Vienna school. I'll take that. It's Viennese school, but Viennese. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The first, first and second Viennese Yeah. School. Vienna school didn't, I was like, if it should be like school of Vienna, but it's definitely like the first one is Vienna. So Viennese school. Okay, cool. Nice. Well done. Yes. I basically, all the explanation is in the, in the question yeah. there. So yeah, they're the Viennese schools. All right. 10 points. Question two, Hungary. Hungry Man is a frozen meal brand under the umbrella of the 331st ranked company on Forbes 500. Founded in 1919 as Nebraska Consolidated Mills, it has gathered approximately 200 brands in the last 50 years, including Banquet, 
Healthy Choice, and Hormel. Its current name was chosen in the early 1970s and is a combination of the Latin for with and soil. What company is that? I was struggling up until you gave me the Latin. That is ConAgra. That is ConAgra, which up until a few years ago was ConAgra Foods and now is just ConAgra Brands, I think, because they're like, huh. yeah, we're just we're just a parent company. Okay. Yes, they own a lot of brands, I came to discover, mm-hmm. including the ones I mentioned. Uh, yes, ConAgra. Very good. All right, you're mm. at 20 points. Question three, Bohemia. Since words can only ever have one meaning or connotation, I was shocked, shocked, I say, to learn that none of the members of Queen were actually Bohemian. In fact, they were all born on islands controlled by the UK. What island was Freddie Mercury born on, which rejected the British-controlled Sultan in 1964 and joined with Tanganyika to form a new nation? Zanzibar. It is Zanzibar. No, no faffing about there, you just went for it. Yes, it is, in fact, Zanzibar. He was born in Stonetown. I was completely perplexed until we got to the Tanganyika part. And I remember a little bit of that history from talking with somebody who is from Zanzibar. So, Wow, uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Freddie Mercury was born on Zanzibar, which at the time in the 1940s was under the control of the UK. Like it was part of their protectorate. Mm -hmm. There was a sultan who was technically in charge. And had some autonomy, but like, if he did something they didn't like, the British could just be like, hey, we're going to like remove you if you don't. And he'd be like, okay, I'll do your <laughs> thing. So, yeah. Nice. The other ones were all born in like England. Yeah. So, oops, but, but Freddie Mercury is from Sandspark. You're at one, two, three, 30 points. Question four, Mexico. Modern-day Mexico includes the former lands of a handful of previous civilizations. Which of those civilizations primarily occupied the Yucatan Peninsula and southward into modern-day Guatemala and Belize? Their architecture and art is still on display at places like Chichen Itza and Uxmal. Uh, All right. Which one is it? There's like the big three, and I've never done a really good job of like geographically... Mm like remembering which one goes where you know yeah um, i was wondering i think it might be the aztec am i gonna go with it i'm gonna go with aztec unfortunately the aztec were farther north typically this is uh, the mayan oh the mayan Maya. yep mm-hmm. yep and then inca's further south right Inca's further south yeah. Inca's uh-huh. down in south america and yeah. down mm-hmm. in peru and such yeah yes. in a different deep dive i talked about the olmecs olmecs yes i remember that yes uh, that was good yeah yeah anyway that's the maya they're the ones associated with the yucatan and chichen itza in particular and there are over six million current like identifying descendants of the maya oh, that's and cool. they speak like 26 different variations Oof. of the language wow. or something like that like between them that's it's, cool. it's interesting yeah. yeah all right still at 30 points question five burgundy the burgundy region of france has been renowned for centuries for its high quality wine while certain grape varieties such as Aligate and Gamay are produced there. 
I don't know if I got those right, as well as some rosés and sparkling wines, Burgundy is best known for a particular red and particular white varietal. For five points each, name them. The red's name refers to its deep color and growth pattern that resembles a pine cone cluster, and the white shares its name with a village in the Macon region, which comes from the Latin for wild thistle or artichoke. Hmm. All right. Burgundy. I feel like I should be able to get it, but I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. Okay. So, and we're looking for like grape varietals here, right? Yeah. yeah. Which, which in, in this case is like also just the name of the wine. Like the type right. of wine. Okay. So red varietals. Let's think for a second. There we've got Merlot, Syrah, Cabernet, Franc, Zinfandel is a red varietal. Um, Cabernet Franc feels like it might be right for the red. And then for white, white varietals, it's probably not going to be something super obscure, right? Like Burgundy is like, we're in wine country, so I don't need to think of like a wine that nobody's heard of. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc. Is Pinot Grigio a varietal, or is it? I think it is. Is that hopefully I'm not naming blends on the podcast because I would never recover from the embarrassment. <laughs> okay, let's not go too obscure. I'm gonna say Cabernet Franc for the red, and I'm gonna try Chardonnay, although I'm not super confident in that one for the white. All right, you're going to get five points. Chardonnay is the white we're looking for. There is a village named Chardonnay. And mm-hmm. apparently that's why the grape is the grape is named for the village, I guess. And it comes from like Cardonimus or Cardonimus, oh, okay. something in Latin that means like wild thistle or artichoke. Huh, is, all right. Yeah, which I was like, huh, how about that? The red is Pinot Noir. Oh, Pinot Noir. How did I not yeah. have that on my yeah. list? Noir for the dark color, and apparently Pinot means Oh, pinning. no. Oh, of course it is. Oh, it's right. It's right there. It's I, right there. Today I learned. I had no idea. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense now that I have been told that. But yeah. So there it is. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are the two main exports of the Burgundy region. All right. All right. You are at 35 points going into the final and the category is spain i am not terribly confident in spain let's wager 20 of my points okay would you change it if i said like recent spain (laughs) no (laughs) i might might bump it down but okay (laughs) i should Uh, that's fine for for 55 points total uh what recent sporting event saw spain at center stage in which a group of women triumphed in more ways than one, and men in positions of power faced a reckoning. Huh. Hmm. What recent sporting event? There's one that's coming to mind, but, like, I think we had one recently. Yeah. The the Women's World Cup is the thing that's coming to mind, but... I have not been paying attention to soccer news at all. My sister will be embarrassed here. I'm going to go with the Women's World Cup. And that's a good thing you did, because it is the Women's World Cup. It just wrapped up, you know, a month or so ago. Spain won. Nice. The Women's World Cup. Yeah, nice. And then there was the whole thing with the Spanish coach, who is a man, kissing the player on the lips. Oh, no. Like, in front of everyone. Oh, geez. Like, as they were getting the trophy. 
which was not consensual and led to a number of things. Like FIFA basically gave him the boot from like the organization, but he, but he, but like he didn't resign as the coach. So like the national organization had to get involved and there's an investigation and like a whole bunch of stuff. Him and another guy are, I'm pretty sure at this point out. And in fact, the women's team after the world cup, they essentially went on strike until something was done about it. Yeah. But they are, they are back in practice now doing their thing. Yeah. So there you go. Cool. I should pay more attention to sports news. Because I'm missing stuff. Mm. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty big. Yeah, On, and then with women's, I mean, with American women's soccer, also big news. Not as big, but Julie Ertz and Megan Rapinoe retiring. Man, mm-hmm. it's the end of an era. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, this was this was great. Great deep dive. Great quiz and great talking with you as always. So thank you. And thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who like Jeopardy, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. Yeah, and we'll be back next week with week three of the Second Chance jamboree and until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker